Welcome to episode 18, Effective Treatment Strategies for the Treatment of African-American Individuals by Tia Briscoe, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. From Clearly Clinical, learn, grow, shine. everybody and welcome to part three of multicultural counseling working with African Americans in the outpatient setting. I am your host for this evening, your journeyman, your educator, your teacher, whatever you want to call me. My name is Tia Briscoe. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Los Angeles, California. And something special about me is I identify as African-American Black, so that's the purpose of me doing this uh, educational series for you guys, which has been something that I have thoroughly enjoyed. And I thank you guys for the ones who have been through this whole three-part journey with me. I thank you guys for being a part of the journey. Um, if you're new to this journey, uh, I welcome you. And so a little bit more about me, um, I identify as African-American, um, but I'm also a huge advocate for African-Americans accessing and um, continuing through mental health treatment. It's something I'm very passionate about um, as both a person and a clinician. It's something that I've devoted most of my life studying to, um, my life working towards, and so it's a huge part of my life, and I wanted to make sure to share such a big part of my life with you guys because I get a lot of questions about working with African Americans and how to be um, supportive and what we they feel like the community needs, especially with the political climate um, and everything just kind of going on in the world. It's it's super exciting for people to come and ask, you know, how can we better serve, you know, the population that you're a part of. And so it brings me great joy to do this training for you guys. Um, so a little bit of recap for those of you who didn't get to listen to the first two audios or for those of you who did listen to the first two audios and just need a refresher. Um, we, the course description really talks about um, working with African-Americans in the outpatient setting. But like I've said many times in my other um other parts that it's not just in outpatient, but because I know many of you guys are either outpatient therapists or agency therapists, um, I want to make sure that it's tailored to all people. Um, but it's just it just says outpatient, so it could be for inpatient as well. Um, so don't be too too fearful of joining all of the good stuff. And so one last time, I want to give you guys the course description. Uh, so I'm going to read it verbatim. As mental health professionals, we are often pioneers in finding the needed support for individuals who require the most support. During this time in history, African-Americans and black individuals are seeking mental health services at a much higher rate than ever before. This course will outline some of the roadblocks that hinder African-Americans, aka part one, from seeking treatment, ways to increase the likelihood of success in treating African-Americans, part two, and treatment modalities that have been considered most successful in treating African-Americans. That's part two and part three, um, and a little bit of part one. But this last uh, part, or part three, uh, really focuses on some of the different theories that really assist in helping African-Americans really engage in treatment and then transition out of treatment in a, in a well state. Um, you know, African-Americans once engaged in treatment have a really high rate of successfully completing treatment only because once they get involved in that situation, it's, it's a good situation for them to be in, especially having somebody to talk to, release some of the stressors that may come up, all of that good stuff. So, you know, once we, we get through the door, we're solid. <laughs> if you're a good therapist, and that's my hope is that, you know, the therapeutic relationship will really cause an amount of change. So per my usual uh, disclaimers, I do have two pretty big disclaimers that I like to give when listening to any of these audios. Um, number one, Again, I don't speak for all African-Americans. I don't speak for all African-American therapists. I don't speak for all black therapists. Um, 
these are more general things that I've learned throughout my years of number one, being a black person. I've been a black person for most of my life. <laughs> and then also um, being a black client and being a black clinician. So I have kind of all three of those things that just kind of gives me some insight on just working with African-Americans. Some things have come up, but not one shoe size fits all. So don't think that this is just the end all be all for African-Americans. Like I said, continuously, your client is a unique person and you, they should be treated like they are unique. Also, a part of that disclaimer is that there are so many different types of Africans, Blacks, uh, Afro-Latinos, Caribbeans, um, the, the whole gamut. Biracial, which is something I didn't say in the last ones. You can have biracial clients, which is wonderful. Um, or triracial. Uh, so when I say African-American or black, it's in the sense of talking about African-American and blacks in the U.S. So please don't take it personal if I don't mention um, your specific type of, of African or black. But I'm just doing another encompassing thing. Number two disclaimer, and um, this one is always the hardest to disclaim, is that many of the studies in this study or in this particular part and also in the previous parts, uh, they do say, they do speak to white people um, or Caucasian people. Again, not because we're being, you know, racist or want you to feel bad or anything of that nature, but it's just the kind of spoken language in some of these studies. Because racism is such a historically difficult bond between um, black Americans and um, white Americans, it tends to come up a lot in studies um, and just in research in general. And so um, when I speak of white or Caucasian, please don't take it personal. Um, I do also say that there has to be some awareness of privilege. Um, and we talked about that in the last um, part is that, you know, privilege is a thing. And so we do have to be aware of that, but I don't want anybody feeling guilty or responsible for this. You know, my only suggestion or my only hope is that if you are somebody in a majority group, whether, you know, we're talking about the LGBTQA community or we're talking about Latinos or, you know, Spanish or Americans, or if we're talking about anything where there's a target group being um, targeted, which is what a target group is, that you just be aware of just how you can enact change in, in that situation. And you may not be able to change the world, but it is my true belief that one person can make a drop in a, a big stream. You know, I'm, I'm here for all kinds of support for all kinds of people. So I don't want anybody to feel like they're being targeted because you're not. Um, this is all for the sake of education and learning and making change. And so... I'm super glad that you guys decided to listen to this specific audio because it means a lot. So there, those are my disclaimers. <laughs> I know I feel like I talk a lot when I do those, but that's okay. Um, so this course is really about treatment theories and modalities that can be used when working with African-American individuals. And so per usual, the target audience is anybody who works in the mental health field. You know, there, there's the gambit. I have gone through so many different types of clinicians and counselors and therapists and social workers. So I'm not going to give the whole list. The whole list is available online. But just know that if you work in mental health, this is for you. <laughs> Even if you don't, if you work in public policy or et cetera, et cetera, this is for you. The course difficulty level is moderate because there are some clinical words that are used, some clinical theories that are used. Um, so it's, it puts it at a bit of a moderate pace. So now this course description um, talks about all the wonderful theories that have been created. And so now that we've explored the different barriers in working with African-Americans and then engaging African-Americans in treatment, we are going to look at treatment modalities or theories that have been considered successful in working with African-American individuals.
The course objective is to identify treatment modalities or treatment theories that have been shown to be successful in working with African-Americans. And then to understand the lasting impacts that therapy can have on African-American individuals. So we're looking more so at termination now and just how um, the course of treatment has impacted this person. And so per usual, I'll be quoting some uh, research that has been found. And so let's let's jump right into it. Um, so the first theory that I always like to talk about, and I think I'm biased because I am a marriage and family therapist, uh, <laughs> and this is probably the first theory we learn about if it's not Freud. Um, I feel like everybody learns about <laughs> Freud first um, because he was like the first to ever do it. But sometimes I'd be like, Freud, what was you talking about? Um, but <laughs> one of the first theories we learn in LMFT school or MFT school is about family systems. And so I really like to use family systems first and foremost before I branch off into some of the other theories that are really important. Um, cause I feel like family system really encompasses the African American experience. Um, again, in my previous, um, my previous parts, I really talked about how African American have such close ties to their families. You know, even if the family is broken, you know, generationally, we've just, we've always had just like this, this love for family. And I'm not going to just say it's African Americans because my grandmother on my father's side is part Italian and her father was Italian. So my grandmother has really, um, strong ties in both cultures. She's, she's super Italian and then she's super black. And so it's really interesting to see her like operate. But one thing we noticed <laughs> being from a half Italian and a half black family was that we're just all loud. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you guys have figured that out now in these last couple of parts. But we, we tend to be loud. And so but that's just that's how we operate. You know, we 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 grieve loud. We we are happy loud when we have babies. We're loud when someone leaves this earth. We are loud. So <laughs> We're just loud people, but we always do everything together. You know, for example, <laughs> my mom, I'm, I'm a bit older, I, I would say. I'm, I think I'm pretty still young in my youth. But um, my mom, every time I move somewhere and, you know, I have a boyfriend and, you know, we're, we're adults now. But my mom is like, nope, I have to go with you. I have to go with you because it's like when I make a decision or he makes it, it's a family decision. The family is going to be coming to your house. So the family has to make sure your house is good. Same thing with getting a partner. The family has to make sure your partner is well liked. The family almost is like a tribe. We almost have to agree on <laughs> some of the smallest things in the world. So when I do therapy, especially with, like I said, not just African-American or black people. When I do family therapy with Italians or Asians or, you know, even Caucasians, you know, there's so much t family tie, you know, especially when it's generational and culturally, culturally accustomed to being a family. So family systems, I feel like I just trailed off on you guys, but family systems is a really big, important part of doing therapy with African-Americans. Because, I mean, our life surrounds, and like I said, even if the person may not have a good relationship with their family, um, their family of origin, family is so significant, you know? Like I said, those kinship bonds are significant. So when we're talking about family therapy, we're really looking at um, how the system affects the one person. And so when we think of Bowen, for example, um, Bowen is actually one of my favorite theories because it really, he really looks at how generations have impacted this one individual person. Um, so for example, how alcoholism has impacted a, a, a family, you know, and so for example, in my family, we did the genogram, which is my favorite thing. And the genogram goes in so many different theories, but, um, I did a gene, a health genogram. Um, luckily for me, this was before my grandmother passed away. Like I tell people, I talk about my grandma so much because she recently passed away and I love her. And so, and she just taught me so many wonderful lessons. But 
um, my grandma and I sat down and did this genogram together because I had to do it for school and she knew everything. And we really found out that like um, breast cancer was something that was passed down in our family. Lupus, high blood pressure, um, certain types of cancer, even things like alcoholism, um, smoking, um, depression, anxiety. Um, my family is huge on anxiety. We all have anxiety. We're just all anxious people. That's just, it is what it is. Um, and so she helped me with both my dad and my mom's because she's really good friends with, or she was really good friends with my dad's mom. And so when we did my genogram, it really showed me how my family system has, in just my grandparents on, has impacted me, how relationships were impacted and how certain relationships, like for instance, I get along with one of my aunts extremely well. Like she's, she's like my mother, but my mother also got along with this aunt extremely extremely well so it was generational and so when I think of Bowen specifically I think of how generations have been impacted by things and so looking at African Americans as a whole and how generations of you know slavery and you know the civil rights issues and you know the impact of different things have really led to certain aspects of black families being broken down, you know, the crack epidemic and all of those. So when we're looking at a family of African-Americans in treatment or even a couple, you know, you can just have a couple in treatment and you're looking at how they have kind of been raised and reared. It's so important to look at them from really a systems, a systems perspective because the perspective is so important of how were these two raised, you know? Same thing with the children. How were the parents raised, you know? So I think that it's, it's super important and also their views of therapy. You know, for example, I say this before, my mom has a very positive view on therapy, but her mom didn't have a positive view on therapy. So, you know, my mom was all for like, hey, go to therapy, be a therapist, do what you want to do, because she is also a therapist. And so, but my grandma didn't understand it. And so that was generation, generationally passed down to me that, uh, I don't know about therapy, but things change over time. And so as a clinician, your goal is not to change the person's mind on therapy, but just give them different perspectives, you know, because some people just aren't going to change how they view coming to therapy or how they view therapy works. It's just not going to change. But if you have one person who is a big part of the system, uh, become a big part of the system, then you are, you're golden. So <laughs> family systems is quite entertaining though, I think. And so we, we look at family systems first and foremost because it's the most important family system, our family structure in therapy. So Bowen, um, Satir, uh, Bowen and Satir really, those two are kind of the big ones in therapy. And so we really look at family therapy first. Um, so when we're going to more so the individual therapies, we're going to look more so at um, some of more of the, the more accepting therapies. And so one of the big therapies that are really important when working with African-American clients is um, kind of the client-centered therapy. And so it's really focusing on the client as a human being and a person who is in the room with you in that space. And so in a study by Firthes, Miller, Cunahan, Walker, and Layden, <laughs> I'm horrible with names. I'm sorry if I butchered those and you're listening to this at all. Um, <laughs> completed in 2002, the researchers found the clinicians were more likely to use Rogerian techniques with to engage black clients and build a relationship towards the beginning of therapy. So this is the very beginning. So Rogerian therapy, again, is very open, warm. It's about the relationship. It's about building the relationship. And so that is really used along with client-centered um, existential therapy, some of those, those more um, client-based therapy where the client is the expert and you're kind of just in the room with them and um, keeping them in the space. And so 
Moving forward, the authors assert that clinicians can use culture-specific therapies that rely on four main factors. So these factors are really based and grounded in cultural therapy. Um, racial identity development to understand the client, attunement to the client's racial identity, uh, developmental and worldview processing, and attending to the client's reports of racism. They assert that one of the most widely used therapies is narrative therapy, which is my favorite therapy ever, but we're not going to get into that just yet. So we want to just talk about kind of the beginning stages of these theories and kind of some of the interventions from these theories that work really well. So when we look at racial identity, we're looking at self-esteem. And so I think that's kind of the, the underlying basis that we need to be fully aware of is how is race and culture impacting this individual's self-esteem? Um, so like I said, I'm a very proud African-American woman, but the, the next person may be like, you know, it's, it's hard being an African-American person. I don't like the way I look. I don't like how dark my skin is, et cetera, et cetera. And so how do you level racial identity and self-esteem and pride in, in your racial identity. And so that's also the difficulty of the clinician because that person may not want to have pride in who they are as, as a black person or a mixed race person or etc. So it, it really takes the level of helping that person accept who they are culturally and also balancing the maybe dislike of who they are. And so when we talk about self-esteem work we're looking at how to almost maintain that inner strength in the culture and how to maintain that identity inside and outside of the culture which is very difficult um even for a, an african-american clinician as myself you know i have some african-americans who come into my office or um for, uh, I, I had a client who was Jamaican American and was even saying like even in Jamaica you know it's it's very different in how we treat each other and how we treat other blacks or other African Americans or people from America in general <laughs> and so you never really know what the ide ideations that are coming from these different people are so it's really about getting to know the client and know um, the importance of what the client feels as a stronghold in their their cultural identity and so another thing that may be difficult for um, specifically Caucasian uh, Caucasian therapists is helping the client um, navigate some of the racism that may be coming up for them I think that it's really hard when you don't have a inside um, idea of what it's like to have to go through this on the daily, but it doesn't mean you can't work with it. It just means that you are really taking the word of the client and really taking the experience of the client in as value as they are 100% the experts in their own life. And so, you know, it could be hard for a therapist to really step in and say, you know, how can I, as a person, serve you? It's hard, you know, and I I am such a huge um, supporter of narrative therapy because I feel like narrative therapy really allows a client to tell their story. And so when I say that we'll get into narrative therapy um, a little bit later, it's because I, I am a huge, huge advocate for uh, narrative therapy, and also solution-focused therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, all of that. But narrative, I feel like, brings out, really, it ties in the African-American experience and the individual. So we'll, we'll move on from there. Um, another theory that I think works really well with um, African-American individuals, specifically, I see this more with African-American teenagers. Um, who are still trying to find identity and all that good stuff um, is like DBT and CBT. Um, I think that works really well with African-Americans because it's a very logical way of doing things. You know, it's a very steadfast way of like, 
How do your beliefs affect your behavior and impact your thoughts and et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that um, CBT and DBT are both really good in helping a client identify those thoughts, but also giving the client a opportunity to focus on the outcomes of that and focus on coping with some of those things that may come up. So for example, in DBT, um, the tip skills, you know, I think those work really wonderful with uh, young African-American men. The tip skills are something that um, I was taught with a African-American professor how to do on an African-American male. And so um, when I did it for the first time, you know, it had mostly widely been studied on um, Caucasian young women. And so, cause it's usually used with borderline personality disorder. And so when we did it on a man and we kind of switched things up and added in some things that were more culturally sensitive and it, it was amazing, you know, I think that really challenging negative thoughts and negative stereotypes was the big part that came out. You know, we're challenging the, you're not good enough. You know, you'll never be anything. You're just a ghetto black boy, like et cetera, et cetera. And so it allowed them to have the opportunity to grow and learn about themselves and learn how to challenge those thoughts. And so I really like CBT and DBT, especially working with younger african-american individuals because i feel like you know we always want to teach them coping skills for the future and i feel like cbt and dbt really allow that kind of growth and um growth and uh how do i say it growth in in moving forward if i'll, I'll just put it that way <laughs> i couldn't think of the word so i'll just i'll just say moving forward um, some other therapies that are really cool to use with African-Americans that not a lot of people do. Um, existential therapy, that's one of my favorites to use with older African-American adults. So like, you know, our geriatric population, um, thinking about your meaning and your purpose in life. And that really ties in almost kind of the Christian values of like, what am I here on earth to do? Which is completely awesome and it's something that I really love to to talk to with about preachers because it really brings into this why am i put on earth who am i outside of this earth and so that existential thinking is something that i believe really sets well with african-americans because of that just the higher power and the um just being more than than what you are and what we're here on you know, I was I was reading something the other day that was talking about Trayvon Martin, one of the young boys, one of the first kind of young boys that were killed in um, in Florida, I believe. Don't um, don't quote me, but he was I believe he was killed in Florida, and people were calling him like the sacrificial lamb, like in order to help bring awareness. You know, this young man almost had to die to help bring awareness and so you know as therapists as we're talking about what theory really encompasses that we were talking about how existentialism is like you know what you're put on this world to do and how do you live up to that and so we were talking about how we feel like certain people are put into this world to almost be a beacon of light even in the dark and so you know when you're thinking of african-americans and you know, some of the many murders that have happened and, you know, it just, it, it really brings up that existentialism of why are we here on this earth and what are we meant to do? And so I think that existentialism is literally one of my all time, all time favorite um, theories. And so, but you, honestly, all theories work really well with African-Americans. Um, some theories work better than others, but I mean, there's really no theory that I can say that is not good for African-Americans or will cause you to, to revert back or anything like that. Um, I think the theories where the client is not the expert, you'll have a, a lot harder time, especially um, 
if you are of a different race. Because, you know, especially if you're, I want to say if you're a Caucasian person <laughs> and you're being the expert, I think it might be harder for you to um, engage with the client because, you know, we don't want to say we know everything because I think for African-American clients, we're already struggling with, you know, they, they already think low of us. And so, you know, to come in a therapy room and be told, well, I'm the expert and you do what I say, that's not going to work for you. And so I, there are more, and I say that because CBT is more of a, you know, the, the therapist is the expert. And so, um, I think that, that that gets a little tricky, but I also know that CBT is more so the, the therapist being the, the expert in the directives. And so with that, I will say that the, the, the expertise-ism, I don't know if that's a word, but the expertise-ism is okay because, um, because you're not per se saying you're an expert, but you're just saying like, hey, I know these things, and so let me teach you these things. And I think that works out particularly well. So, like I said, there's no, there's no theory that I wouldn't say is bad. <laughs> and I know in some books you'll read, people are like, oh, this theory works better and this theory works better. Even I'm gonna do it uh, right now. I'm gonna say that well, particularly theory is better because I like this theory. Um, and it's been shown to work really well with African-American individuals and so, um, yeah, so let's get into my prized favorite therapy, which is narrative therapy. Woo! Yay! So much fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, I make myself laugh sometimes. I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about narrative. So narrative therapy is um, a really important therapy to me because, um, you know, I have just had a love for, for narrative therapy since I first became a therapist. Um, I remember hearing about it in school and my professor was like, you know, I think that you're going to like this theory. And I was like, you always tell me you think I'm going to like a theory. And so, um, so when I first heard about narrative therapy, it was in a sense of like storytelling. And so I'm like, well, that's weird. Like what is storytelling? And I'm like, there's storytelling and therapy. I thought therapy was nothing but storytelling. And so I'm like, I don't get what you're saying. <laughs> so um, when he told me about it, I was like, this is awesome. This is wonderful. And so he was like, look it up, read it, and let me know what you think. And I was, con I was wondering why he was telling me to do this and not telling anybody else to do this. But lo and behold, um, it was because he wanted me to uh, get the cultural sense of it. And I was like, the cultural sense, well, why, why does that matter? And he basically told me because this is um, a part of the culture that African-Americans kind of build for themselves and how they storytell. And I think this is wonderful. So after a while, after a bunch of arguing with him and like, I don't understand why you want me to do this, um, he, basically told me, you know, go, go do the theory. Just go do the theory. Tell me what you think. Do some of the interventions. And lo and behold, it became my favorite theory. And I'll explain to you why. So in African-American culture and in African-American society, um, storytelling is, is a huge part of our lives. Um, we live off of telling stories and hearing stories. It's how we pass down our uh, culture, our beliefs, our family heirlooms, they're all in stories. And so when there's a theory that comes up that really talks about changing those negative stories, it's almost, it almost comes easily to us. Um, 
you know, in, in slavery days, and I go back to slavery because so much of slavery has impacted the black community and just how we operate now, nothing was allowed to be written down for us. We didn't have manuscripts or, you know, stories. So we had to pass down these different things uh, generational wise. And so it's very important that a, a theory that we have really encompasses that storytelling piece. It's something that we use in church. It's something that we use for our kids. We, it's just, it's a big part of our life. So when I finally, you know, took the time to do some of the, the, the narrative therapy interventions and really take some time to learn about it, I fell in love with the theory because it just reminded me of being a kid and learning about my culture, learning about um, how certain foods came up. It just brought up that love of storytelling and, and learning about different stories. And so narrative therapy is, I think, one of the best therapies, aside from Bowen. I feel like those two go neck and neck. But Bowen and narrative therapy are the two therapies that I truly believe in. And so per usual, I have a little research for you guys um, that was completed in 2013. So I think this is like the most recent study that I have. <laughs> I feel like I should give you guys more recent, but I feel like all of the studies have some kind of significance still. So when examining the history of narrative, ooh, that was a tongue twister, narrative therapy, the importance of cultural sensitivity is one that cannot be challenged. According to Rambo, West Schooley, and Boyd in 2013, clinicians Michael White and David Epstein pioneered the use of personal narratives to derive growth within their clients, to which consisted of many ethnicities and, ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. According to the pioneering therapist associated with narrative therapy, Narrative therapy was created to focus on therapeutic simplicity and social justice with the hopes of moving therapy from the clinic to the community. Woo! I like that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. From the clinic to the community. If you guys don't take nothing that I said to heart, please take that to heart. From the clinic to the community. That is, that is just everything that working with black clients is clinic to community you want to teach your clients something that they can take back into the community with them and they can have a heart you know i had a caucasian or caucasian therapist who was stellar 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 man i, I think about him and i'm like yes he was amazing um but he brought he taught me so many things that i was able to take back to my community as a therapist and it was so amazing because you know if i hadn't seen him being a white man I, I would not have grown as much as I have grown. So that clinic to the community, that means so much to me. Um, continuing, with such a viewpoint, narrative therapy is considered relatively effective in the promotion of cultural sensitivity amongst clinicians and personal discovery amongst clients. And so I'm going to take a little piece out of my own thesis um, just to kind of give you guys the explanation as to why narrative therapy is so important in black culture. Um, so I wrote, these are my words, in the black culture, storytelling has been a means of spreading knowledge, wisdom, and strength amongst many generations to pass. The theory of narrative therapy promotes the importance of creating and retelling client stories. In German, our German 2013 asserts that using narrative therapy and black counseling also provides a mean of deconstructing the client's local and dominant discourses. So local and dominant discourses for those of you guys who aren't familiar with um, narrative therapy terms or narrative therapy, those are just kind of the, the stories that we're told when we are growing up. Um, the belief systems that we have, um, and so when I say local, local discourses, those are the beliefs that almost you kind of grew up with. So people saying, you know, you're not good enough. Um, I wish you were never born. Those are the discourses that people tend to believe over time. You know, those really, those types of things really seep into adulthood and cause individuals to really struggle. And so those are the local discourses. And the dominant discourses are kind of the worldview 
um, what does your culture say about who you are um, and what do you believe because of your culture? <clears throat> and so those focus on the dominant discourse. So moving on, um, they focus on those to encourage the creation of the client's preferred narrative. By deconstructing the ideations of their culture, black clients are able to release themselves from stigmas that racism exudes, thus creating a preferred narrative that leaves them feeling powerful, heard, and recognized. And so that is really the foundation of narrative therapy, is to help clients see themselves in a positive light by allowing them to see themselves the way that they want to see themselves, the way that they believe themselves should be seen their self should be seen and so another cool thing about narrative therapy is that you can enlist people to listen to your narrative once it's completed and so uh, for example you know you write this wonderful narrative about what you want your life to be and you want to start living by this um, and then you have your mom come in and you tell her hey this is this is what I'm gonna do and your mom is that support system for you to really go by that narrative and really stand in that narrative. Um, in, the, in the black community, I hear a lot about vision boards. Um, that's really important in black community, which can also be an intervention for this because it's really about I idealizing their ideal future. Like what do they want for themselves? And that's bringing in a little bit of solution focus um, into the mix, which they're, the two are very much tied. They're both postmodern theories and so, you're bringing in solution focused into the mix by saying like, what is your ideal um, future? What do you want for yourself? What do you see yourself in five years? And so a lot of African-Americans that I know, they like to vision board. <laughs> but I think all people would like to vision board, but I see it a lot in like parties and, you know, get togethers and we call them functions. <laughs> at functions people tend to uh, vision board and it, it's something that's really widely used in african-american culture and so um, narrative really ties that into it and vision boards or storyboards or poems or things of that nature that brings up the creative side as well which is I think the most important thing um, when working with any client but with african-americans especially for somebody who's extremely creative like myself I'm the daughter of a musician and so for me being creative is, is important and so narrative therapy allows you to reach back into those roots and tell a story but also be creative and you know get get your your creative juices flowing and kind of express yourself in a way that allows you to be who you are and I just I love this theory because it just promotes being who you are and making your own path and having people there to support you and all of that. I just think that is a spectacular theory. I'm, I think I'm a, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm biased <laughs> to that theory only. But like I said, I'm also really biased to uh, solution focused because I think it's important to help people find solutions to their own problems. And so I think those two postmodern theories really encompass um, black culture now. Like I said, I think Bowen does a wonderful job of incorporating the generational issues that may be coming up and that can be incorporated in the family. But as an individual client, I think narrative therapy, solution-focused therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, DBT, those are all really strong bases for a client. And then you can kind of spread off to some existential interventions or some Jungian interventions or um, the empty chair and things that, that really allow the client to kind of dive deep. But I feel like the surface, which is culture and race and ethnicity, that really has to be worked out before a lot of that can be um, worked out. Because like I said, in the last part, in part two, that, you know, it's hard walking around in a world where you don't know if you're gonna make it home because of the color of your skin. And I feel like for the large group of minorities, um, especially my, my black males and my um, Latino, Hispanic, Spanish males, that's a big, big, big weight to carry on your shoulders. And so, you know, having 
that narrative in there by saying, you know, let's deconstruct this and write your own story. And then having a little bit of that solution, solution focused and how can we create the best of your life? And then having some CBT, how are those thoughts trying to, just mixing it all together, Bowen, how has your, your parents and your father and XXYZ dealt with, you know, racism and all of that. All of that mixed together is really a good melting pot for having a good relationship, a good outpatient standing relationship with an African American person. And so I think it's very important that we don't just um, allow ourselves to stay in one place because you know you're like well I don't want to touch the racism thing but touch it it's okay you're not gonna like die because you touched it touch it and see what happens see if the client is willing to open up to you um, about that and so I think that some interventions that I feel like work really well with African-American um, I'll say for my, I'll go by age if that's helpful. Um, so for my little ones, anything that normal little ones do, <laughs> I think works really well for them. Um, impartial because um, from the, the babies, like zero to five, and I'll say like three to five, um, they don't really understand the difference of race and culture. So it's, it plays a part, but it, it's more like a, micro, a macro level than a micro level um, for them. It's more so, um, you know, they, they know that they look different <laughs> and they know that their friend doesn't look like them, but they don't, they're still trying to figure out what a boy and a girl is or everything in between. So for our little ones, um, it's really just helping be aware, helping them be aware of their environments, especially if they're in like a lower SES environment, teaching them about their environment. Um, for your elementary age students, that's when they're learning how to um, deal with kind of the, the racial differences and where they come from. And a lot of them start therapy at this age. And so, you know, and a lot of our, our African-American young boys um, start getting the race talk at this age, um, which is a very hard conversation to have in general. It, it does choke me up a little bit because it is a hard conversation to have with a five or a six-year-old, you know. And so um, people were shocked. I remember being in grad school and um, my professor had showed this uh, Bill Cosby segment where this teacher was like telling they were maybe first or second grade telling them like, you know, when the cops come, you gotta put your hands up and all of that. And people were like, oh my God, you guys do that? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. You know, there was a, a show, for example, on TV, Basketball Wives, and one of the young ladies on the show had given the same talk to her son. Um, about, you know, when police come, you put your hands on the dashboard and you make sure you're not going for your cell phone or your, your anything, you know, have your license and registration out, you know, and, and these conversations are real and they are, they're very real and they're very uncomfortable to have. And, you know, I don't have kids, but I have older cousins and our younger cousins and it's the same kind of conversations, you know, we don't let them walk around with their hoods up or, you know, and the same thing with for our little girls too, because you know, you know, we're losing little girls too. It's the same conversation, and so at that age, elementary age, interventions are really about helping them kind of maneuver this newfound understanding of who they are. Um, middle school and high school. Middle school is more like the transitional age, um, so you're doing more so of helping them kind of discover who they are. Um, high school tends to be, high school and college, younger college age men tend to struggle the most with this. Um, and that's why my thesis was based on working with these age groups, specifically like 17 to like 20, 25 or 26. Um, only because this is like the time where statistically many African American men die. Um, and it's, it's sad and it's hard to talk about, but um, this, is, this is the age where 
you know, you're considered a threat. And so, you know, we are really doing a lot of processing at this age. Um, this age is really, really, really a, a, lot, a lot about processing, specifically for African-American men. Um, for African-American young ladies, this, uh, this, this time is more so about self-discovery. Um, you know, statistically in the media, we're super, super sexualized and, you know, we are overly told that we need to be something. So, you know, black girls are 10% are more likely to have um, an eating disorder than their white counterparts. So it, it is real for them too. So for both groups, for both male and female, it's, it's about really self-discovery. And then you have your, your, your LGBTQ youth, your trans youth. They're also in that space where they have two things stacked against them. They are African-American and they identify as LGBTQ. And I never want to leave them out because it's so important that they are put into these, these considerations when thinking of interventions. You know, and that's that's really where that self-esteem work, that um, support system work, that narrative therapy can really help that age group. Your college age group is also transitioning from being young to being older adults, um, and then you have your your middle-aged adults who are you know transitioning to families and retirement and jobs and all of that. So your interventions are really going to be focused on um, phase of life issues per se with them and um, kind of past traumas that have come up if they are, you know, not really here for therapy. <laughs> um, so that's them. And then your geriatric community, um, which is very near and dear to my heart. It's more so of helping them process over that time of their lives. And, you know, one thing that really helped my grandmother before she passed, she had the opportunity just to go back into her life and she went back a little bit um a little bit before she passed maybe a year before she passed we talked about Emmett Till and my grandmother lived in the the next city over and she just told me she said I was terrified like she was like if they if they can throw him in the water and he's not even from here they can throw me in the water and I live down the street <laughs> you know so, you know, she was she was terrified and she took that into adulthood, that same fear that she had when she was, I want to say in high school or maybe younger, she took that into adulthood with her and she was somewhat always distrusting of people, um, you know, and, and very cautious about how we moved as her grandchildren in the world and her children. And so... I got the opportunity to process that with her and my grandfather, who's still alive. Um, but that is really what is centered around making sure the family is okay for their passing, um, just really building strong roots for them as they transition over, um, you know, where, wherever they go. <laughs> I believe my grandmother is a butterfly, so... <laughs> Wherever she went in butterfly world, that she is um, out there and she has transitioned well. And so those are just some interventions that I have found to work really well with African-American uh, individuals, families, couples, children, um, young adults, teenagers, the whole nine. You know, if you can get them in the office, I believe that you can, can make an impact um, like I said, the market for therapy is so strong now and people are, African-American people are really starting to just like embrace therapy. Like I said, so many celebrities and athletes and just amazing people have just came out and said, you know, I'm black and I go to therapy. And it has been, there's a show which if you guys ever get the chance to see it, there's a show called The Therapist and he focuses on working with um, with rappers particularly. And it, it's something that I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because it just really shows how the need is there, but it just looks different. You know, when you're working with a rapper, um, one specific rapper had been shot and nobody, he didn't know who shot him. And he was so paranoid and was so fearful for his life every day. And that's a huge burden.
but because he's a rapper, because he's a black man, he wouldn't go to therapy. And so, you know, just seeing that and seeing a representative go to therapy, that causes change so much. But it really is about the client and it's about the therapist and the therapist being a strong, strong therapist. And so if you are very set in your opinions and very set in your thoughts and you're not open-minded, it's going to be really difficult for you to engage anybody else who does not think like you or who does not believe like you do. (laughs) And so with that, you're really cutting off a huge part of what makes the world turn is that there's so many amazing different people and there are so many black clients there's not enough black therapists so there there has to be some black clients that go to somebody who's not black and it's it that's okay we want that (laughs) we want people to be trusted in the community to come into the community and say you know what i have the tools to help you let me help and so i think that just allowing the opportunity for growth and allowing the opportunity for connection in the community um, it's so important. And so as, as we start to come to a close in this particular section, um, I want to talk about termination just briefly um, and what termination looks like for an African-American therapist. And I laugh because it's the same thing as terminating <laughs> with any other client. Over this period, if you've been with me for the, the all three parts, I don't think that there's much different in the end. Um, there's a lot of different ideologies, and that's with any culture. You're going to run into different beliefs and different thoughts in, in any culture. You know, I, I just got an Armenian client, and he was telling me how things are so different in his culture than in black culture. I'm like, wow, y'all are so different. But we're so much the same because we both have love for family. We both X, Y, and Z. So, yeah, there are things that make us different, but there are also things that make us the same, too. And so while it's ideologies, it's not that (laughs) far-fetched that a client may come into your office and may need you. And like I said, unfortunately, (laughs) there's, there's not a whole lot of black therapist out there so my hope is that there will be enough educated therapists and enough multicultural sensitive therapists to step in and fill the gap for us and really help individuals live their best life as they call it now live their best life and do um, amazing things you know because sometimes going to, to therapy and going to treatment is what unlocks your greatness. Somebody unlocks it and you just continue to move forward with it. And so my hope is that um, you guys will go and take this knowledge that I have given you and just spread it out and just make it your own and teach and help people grow. And so that's my goal in life. (laughs) And that's why I've been here rambling for you guys for three hours to bring my love of therapy to you guys but i want to thank you for those of you who have listened to all three parts i want to thank you for just allowing me the opportunity to educate you today um it has meant a lot to me to be able to do this and spread my love for my culture and spread my love for being a therapist and spread my love for people and interaction and connection it has been a pleasure. Um, it, it is. It has always been a pleasure to educate and teach. I hope that you really got something out of this, and that you will be a much stronger clinician after hearing this. And like I said in my all-time favorite quote that I will say, we're being clinical to the community. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. And we can make a big change in our communities if we just take the time to really get to know people and, and learn people and be a part of the community. So once again, my name is Tia Briscoe. 
I am from the beautiful, sunny Los Angeles, California. It has been my complete honor to assist you guys and to teach you guys today. And I hope that you guys have learned something. And if not, then kudos to you to listening for, to me for three hours. If you did, if you only made it through this one hour, then kudos to you too. <laughs> but I hope that you guys enjoyed it and I wish you guys all of the best. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.